You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Steve. <laughs> and uh, enjoy being here, love being here. Uh, during the prayer time before the service this morning, uh, I just shared the verse, this is the day that the Lord has made. Uh, we will rejoice and be glad in it. And so we actually have to ask the Lord to forgive us from time to time for complacency and same old, same oldness and routineness that every day is new, every day is exciting, uh, every day is fresh. The, the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. Isn't that great? And so there's something about a new day. It's not, we've never had this day before. And uh, so be looking, be expecting as to what uh, God is going to do. So uh, thank you, uh, church family, Westside Church family, for praying for Terry and myself. Uh, we've been out of town a bit the last few weeks. Terry's dad passed away a couple weeks ago, and we did the memorial service last weekend uh, in Arizona. And so thank you for your grace and understanding uh, we were going to be gone anyway last week. We were going to be up at the Canada Equip, and we had a bunch of good reports uh, from our guys coming back from that. And uh, looking forward to our USA Equip at the end of this month. It's already June. Can you believe that? And so um, summer is in full swing, and we're looking forward to what God is going to do. I encourage you to rest well when you uh, have a vacation time. Uh, plan it well. Plan it so that you don't come back more tired than when you left. Uh, try to recreate, to, to recreate well, and so allow God to work in you. For those of you that don't have vaca- vacation, a lot of you don't, uh, try to finagle a, a three-day weekend away with some friends or with your family once in a while. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we have a Thursday night service. Thursday nights kind of pick up over the summer uh, because people can get away uh, for a three-day weekend uh, once in a while, and we don't want you to be able to miss out the fellowship here at Westside. So... Uh, we're looking forward to a great summer. So many activities going on. The things that we do aren't just to keep you busy. All those announcements, the things in your brochure, the, the bulletin page, there's a reason why we do these things. There's a reason why we have a strong, healthy local church, and this is part of it, uh, that we really do believe in a relationship. We, we really do pray that you'll have a revelation of your need for a relationship and uh, how important it is, and how vital it is, and then a revelation of the need uh, for God's Word. So that's what we're going to get into uh, together this morning. Um, Have I missed anything? All right, okay. Seems like I'm missing something. Oh, I'm missing my wife. That's what I'm missing. (laughs) Terry sends her love and greetings. Uh, It it has been a hard, uh, hard few weeks for her, and thank you for your prayers and notes. She really uh, responds to texts and Facebook posts and things like that. And um, so thank you very much. She is in uh, Texas right now doing grandma duty. That This was planned six, eight months ago. So she is recreating right now. She's absolutely enjoying it. And uh, this is good for her. But don't forget her. She'll be back uh, a couple weeks. So uh, we're going to continue in our series, our summer series on missed, uh, misused, uh, misunderstood Bible verses and uh, verses that have been taken out of context. And so I want you to be very uh, careful not to get uh, all upset and say, well, can we believe anything in the Bible? Yes, you can. 
Uh, but we want to take a look at it in its proper context and the meaning for which it was given. And so um, our uh, title today uh, on, our ser- on our sermon today is, Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> I thought only good things were coming my way. And so uh, we're going to uh, talk about a verse uh, that's very, very common. Uh, have you ever been in a tough situation? Have you ever been in a dark place? I don't know how else to describe it, but you, you know what you're talking about when you say that. Um, have you ever been hurting and aching and lonely and, and uh, maybe full of fear or anxiety? and uh, So much so that you can't even breathe. And um, I want to encourage you today that uh, we're all going to go through things like that from time to time. But when we're in a healthy body... When we're down there, somebody who's up there at the moment is going to be able to reach down and walk alongside us and pull us up. More importantly is that we always have Jesus to walk with us through the storm. So, Father, I pray that you would open up your word to us today. Your promise was that the Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth. And uh, we we expect that this morning, God. We expect to go home changed uh, and to be more conformed to the image of Christ. Thank you for this opportunity, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Jeremiah 29.11. How many of you, this is your life verse. How many of you, when you graduated from high school or college, somebody wrote you a card and said, Jeremiah 29.11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you a future and hope, right? This kind of thing. That's a good verse. We're going to talk about what that verse says, and we're going to talk about what it doesn't say today. And so we immediately get down and we go, okay, I've got plans. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to get a good job. I'm going to get that Lamborghini I always wanted. And it's good plans and plans for my future, plans for my hope. That's not what that says. Sorry. Um, Maybe when we uh, are down, sometimes God will, or people will say uh, this to you, or or you'll feel like you tell yourself this, God will never let anything bad happen to me. All right, he's my father in heaven, and I don't want anything bad to happen to my kids, and so I'll do everything I can to protect them. And God is God, so he'll protect us, so we'll never go through anything bad. Uh, he won't give me more than I can handle. That was, that was Paul's preach last week, all right? All right, listen to that if you didn't uh, get that. I'm the head and not the tail, all right? And uh, I shall live and not die, and only good things are coming my way. And come to Jesus and all your problems will be solved. Um, I think we forget sometimes that Christians are going to encounter struggles and trials and tribulation. Just a little side note, we might suffer because of our sin condition. We will suffer because of our sin condition. Every single one here is going to die. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the garden... God said, you're going to die. And so what? Every single human being has died. And uh, as far as we know, possibly the only exceptions might be Enoch and Elijah. Uh, But other than that, uh, people die, even Jesus, uh, because he became a man. We might suffer because of our own sins. If you're sitting in a jail cell because you robbed a bank, you're not suffering because you're a Christian. You're suffering because you sinned. And sometimes we suffer because of our own poor choices and our own mistakes. We can't blame God for that. We can't blame anybody else. We can't blame our parents. Those are our choices. Sometimes we suffer because of the sins of others. 
This doesn't quite seem fair, but it happens. If you're hit by a drunk driver and you're injured, that wasn't your fault. You're, you're, you're suffering because of the sins of others. It could be harshness or criticalness or something. Uh, uh, we suffer sometimes because of the sin condition on this earth. The Bible says that all creation groans under the weight of sin. Guys, you have to work by the sweat of your brow and thorns and thistles, so to speak. We don't all, we're not all farmers anymore, but we know what that means. Work. And ladies, there's pain and childbearing. That's the curse of sin upon uh, this earth. And there's wars and there's famine and there's disease. That's just the general sin condition in this world. Sometimes you're going to suffer because Satan hates you. And he doesn't want to make things easy for you. And if he gets permission from God, he'll try to do the best he can to tempt you, even try to tempt Jesus. And sometimes we suffer, we don't like to hear this one often, because of the Lord's discipline. Whom the Lord loves, he reproves. And as a good loving father would discipline and instruct his own children, so our Heavenly Father allows us to go through his discipline sometimes. Sometimes it's miserable. Nothing physical is happening to us, nothing, anything. But God's trying to get our attention for something, and we're under the discipline of the Lord. I remember there was a season in my life when I was doing things my own way, and God wanted to get my attention, and it was tough. And it was, it was only because God wanted to get me back on track. And I'm sure many of us have stories like that. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 to 7. The Word of God says, I don't think this is in your notes, Hebrews 12, 5 to 7. My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. So back again to Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans for good and not for a disaster to give you a future and a hope. So during this series this summer, we want to really learn how to interpret and look at Scripture faithfully. What we want to do is, number one, approach God's Word in humility. We don't know it all. And we have much to learn, and so we want to go uh, in, in humility before the Lord. Number two, we want to read from the text and not into the text. We let the text speak for itself. We don't have our preconceived notions and then search the Bible somewhere to find something to fit something that we have. Because you can pretty much prove anything you want here if you take things out of context. Uh, number three, we, under, we work to understand the context. I'm going to talk about the context of this verse in just a few moments. And we let Scripture in, interpret Scripture. That's the best commentary on Scripture is Scripture itself. And number E, we're going to do this one today also. We're going to apply Scripture to our lives. What good is it to just learn about something without it impacting you and changing you for the good? So Jeremiah 29, uh, starting in verse 3b, uh, this is um, what Jeremiah's letter said. This is Jeremiah the prophet. And it says, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says, to all the captives, he is exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. So here's what has happened. 
The children of Israel have over and over and over for hundreds of years disobeyed God. There was David, he was a good king. There was uh, uh, um, his son Solomon, and I was going to say Samson or Saul or somebody. Solomon, who was good at the beginning and then kind of wavered toward the ends. And then after that, uh, with Rehoboam and Jeroboam, the kingdom of, of Israel, the United Kingdom, uh, split off into two. So ten tribes of Israel went their own way, and Judah, uh, where the lineage of David stayed, they had uh, a couple of the tribes stayed there. So it was a divided kingdom, and pretty much every single one of those kings for the next 400 years or so uh, did everything that was evil and despicable in the sight of God. Israel, every single one of their kings was bad. Uh, Judah had a couple of good kings. Just that's it, out of all that time. There's a couple of revivals during that time. And so um, the Assyrians came and took Israelites and scattered them all over the place. The Babylonians came and took Judah a few years later and uh, killed a lot of people horribly. And what they did was they took about 10,000 of their primo citizens, the educated, the elite, all those kind of people, they took them as captives back to Babylon. And the, left, the rest of the people they left uh, in, in, uh, in Israel, uh, the Babylonians uh, left them there and they encountered ridicule and scorn and disease and poverty and it was just a wasteland uh, back there because the kingdom had been sacked. And so Jeremiah is writing a letter to these people who are now in Babylon. Are you in Babylon? Have you been taken captive to Babylon? All right. So remember who it's written to, the nation of Israel, the remnant that is in Babylon. And then this is what it says. This is the letter. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children, then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Wow. Do you know why the Lord spoke this to the people? Is because there were false prophets saying, you're not going to be taken away for very long. It's only going to be two years. And then God's going to restore you back to Israel. And then he's going to return all the fortunes. And he's going to, you know, everything's going to be hunky-dory the way it was before. And Jeremiah's going, no, that's not what God says. That's what false prophets say. This is what God says. Hunker down. You're going to be there for the long haul. In fact, this prophecy is for you so that at the end of 70 years, there is going to be a nation to return back to the people. Because those are the last two stories in the Old Testament. Remember uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra rebuilt the temple and Nehemiah rebuilt the wall and they were restored and they restored uh, Solomon's temple. It had all been burned and ransacked and then the wall around Jerusalem. Uh, but that was after the 70 years of, of captivity. So see, that this is the context here. It's not quite the same. Um, do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they're telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, said the Lord. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised and I will bring you home again. There's a parallel here. You've got to watch that. 
For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you future and a hope. The parallel there is Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to go, but I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. Because whatever was done to the children of Israel, who Israel means ruled of God, that was his people on the earth. In, in the new covenant, we now have sort of a new God's people. These are the people that are ruled of God. These are believers and Christians. And the things that they went through are typical of the things, pictures of what we go through uh, today. It's very interesting. We can learn, and there are some good stuff out of, out of here. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. In those days, when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I send you and bring you home again to your own land. That's a little bit more of the context in which this verse uh, was written. So a couple of quick things here. Number one, this promise wasn't for those who heard it, but for future generations. The people who heard it would be captive slaves in a strange land, and it possibly wasn't even for their children, but more likely for their grandchildren. And God said, I want you to multiply, and I want you to have families, and I want you to work for the peace in this city, so that if they prosper, you're going to prosper. That's what happened. And then number two, the promise wasn't for one person, but for the nation as a whole, the future remnant of Israel. This fulfillment wouldn't even be for 70 years. So let's apply this to us today. That was a little bit of the context. Let's apply it to us today. Number one, let's make the most of our circumstances, no matter how bad they are. We really, we're we're, going to go through tough times. Let's make the most of it. We can actually learn from it, and some good will come out of it. Whatever hardship or misfortune we confront, uh, we need to stand strong for the Lord and bear witness uh, to the strength that He places in us. Because of this, we live in a fallen, sinful, corrupted world where none of us make it out alive. Now, as a pastor, I know that there's people in this church right now that are going through tough times and have been going through tough seasons. And so I don't want to be cold and callous toward it, but it's, it's, li- it's part of life. It's what we all go through. And some of us, if we're not there now, we have been there. And if we're not there now and haven't been there, maybe we will be there. I don't know. It's, it seems different uh, for all of us. But God will provide for His people. When we need strength, He will be there with us. Uh, he'll give us the strength to face every of life's circumstances even death. I'll tell you what. That's why uh, last week, when I could do my own father-in-law's funeral, there is sadness and joy. It's bitter and it's sweet. It's sad for a moment, but it's sweet because there is a residing undercurrent of strength and joy because we know in whom we have believed and we're persuaded that he is able to keep us against that day. He is our Lord. He is the one that conquered sin and death. We have hope. We have an assurance 
But if you're a believer, understand that and allow God to give you the strength because every one of your parents is going to die. You're going to die. The only difference might be is if Jesus returns. And honestly, I'm more and more believing, it was stated several times at the Canada Equip last week, that this may be the generation that ushers in the return of Jesus. That would be wonderful. That would be awesome. But it's going to be weird. It's going to be strange because boom, the dead are going to go and then we're going to go and it's going to be awesome and, 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 and wonderful. And if you haven't gotten married yet, don't worry because heaven is better than anything you could ever think or imagine here on earth. You didn't miss out on anything much. Uh, God chose you and placed you in the, in the time and the place. You are living in the right time and you're living in the right place. That's what God says. So, um, he, He'll deliver us out of the crushing weight of suffering. And, and um, when we see encouragement in God's Word, we can actually become content and we can become strengthened. Romans 8, Paul says this, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. What does the King James say? We are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us, and I am convinced or persuaded that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Take that to the bank. And that's not taken out of context, all right? God's love conquers everything, all right? And so you'll never be separated from God's love. Number two, let's understand that in this world uh, we will have trouble and Jesus has overcome the world. Jesus told his disciples on the night before he was going to be crucified. They were pretty afraid. They knew that something bad was going to happen and, and, the, and the Pharisees were out to get him and, and, and they hated Jesus and wanted to kill him. And, and so Jesus teaches them on the last night and he says, you know, be servants and love one another and I'm going to prepare a place for you and, and here's communion. Don't forget me. You know, remember me. And he taught him all these things. But he also said, I've told you all this so that in you, that you might have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. He didn't, he didn't give an altar call there and say, come to me and all your problems will go away. He didn't say that. He said, you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer. Rejoice for I've overcome the world. Number three, let's understand what is being said here. Uh, so without a doubt, there is a future and a hope for all of us. All of us who love God, who are ruled of God, who are part of the kingdom of God, we've asked Jesus to be king. That means we've willingly stepped off our own little throne and invited him to be king. And so that's the best application here. 
Uh, there is a future hope for everyone who's placed their faith and their trust in Jesus. There is. We're going to be with Jesus someday. But there's also benefit for us today. And they're mostly spiritual blessings. We're forgiven. We're reconciled back to God. We have peace with God. We have fellowship with the, with the, the, the body of Christ. We have a, a, a hope, a hope in, in when we worship, we encounter the, the living God and He encourages us and fills us with peace and, and strength. And, and we, ha- we have a, a hope and a future. These things that, that you could never put a, any kind of value on, these are for eternity. But if we make... Um, the mistake of redefining this, I have plans to prosper you and, and give you a future and not a hope into our own preconceived notion of what that looks like, then we're holding God uh, hijacked or uh, not hijacked, hostage. Thank you. You guys are so smart. Okay. Hostage to our preconceived conception of what that, that's going to look like. And so God might give you a great job, and a beautiful family, and all those things. But we can't force God into doing something that, that we, based on a verse that we've taken out of context. So here's the point. Here's the point. It's not all about me. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, it's not all about me. It's not all about me. So... <laughs> So, <laughs> some of you might have a hard time saying that. <laughs> okay. Here's a little history lesson. In about the 1840s or so, there was this guy named Horace Mann. Anybody ever heard the name and have no idea who that is? All right. Horace Mann is kind of considered the father of American uh, public education, and so he advocated that we, sh- that we should have, you know, public education. Because up until that time, parents educated their kids, or more likely the local church, the preacher at the local church. On Sundays, he did the church stuff, and during the week, the kids came, and he conducted a school there. Uh, but the training was always centered around, in our nation, historically, it had been centered around God's Word. We had a moral nation. Uh, we had a nation built on Judeo-Christian ethics. And uh, that was the foundation. Our nation, let me, uh, let me get, I'm getting sidetracked here. Our nation is not a Christian nation. First of all, nations can't become Christians. All right, that's the main reason. Our nation was founded on biblical values by people, many of whom were Christians. If not, they were very moral people who were brought up in the knowledge of God's Word. It's all through our Constitution. But from the very beginning, our founding fathers of this country always said that this Constitution, this Bill of Rights, all these things were only made for a moral people. It won't work because you're going to find some way to redefine words and to skirt issues and have laws under laws under laws under laws. So now it's so convoluted uh, from what it started out with. Let's just not fight about those things. Jesus said, give to Caesar what Caesar's, give to God what God's. We have a job to do. We're in the kingdom of God. That's our priority. Let's not fight over politics. Politics by its very nature is divisive. 
politics by its very nature is divisive. You sit on a park bench with somebody having a great conversation, and then you go, I'm a... And then they get up and walk away. It's divisive. It creates walls. And our job is to tear down barriers and walls so that we can embrace people and share the love of Jesus with them. So if God's called you into the political arena, shine for Jesus brightly and do it. And every one of you believers should be a good citizen. You should vote and you should take it seriously and go to God. Uh, but honestly, there's no, uh, there's no good choices. It's, it's always the lesser of two evils. That's the world we live in. There are no good choices. It's the lesser of two evils. And so please don't fight about this. Please don't have discussions in your small groups about this that would alienate people. This is not a Republican church. It's not a Democratic church. It's not an independent church. Personally, I'm going to start a new party. It's called Political Pacifists. And so I'm not going to fight over those things. Uh, I will fight over God's word and the truths and the foundation of his word and those other things. I'm going to do the best I can as a believer representing Jesus in my sphere of influence. All right, I'm done with that. Okay. So back to Horace Mann in the 1840s or so. So so all kids are taken out of parental and church instruction, and now it's public. All right? So, you know, that was a good thing. The idea might have been okay, but you can see that there's, there's something that happens. By the 1890s, there was more literacy in our nation than there is today. In the 1890s, more people could read and write coherently than today. So that for that 50 years or so, that it actually did okay. But if you go back and look at the curriculum from the 1870s, 80s, 90s, and, and you see that everything was biblically based and moral based, even when I was a kid, so all, all the stories, all the reading books, all had morals to them, right and wrong. And that's been sanitized out of our culture. And so uh, along came the Second Great Awakening in the 1860s, 70s, 80s. There was a revival across the nation. And at that point, the church in America kind of, the Protestant church kind of split into two uh, main streams. The mainline denominations, the big names, they kind of went the way of what we might call liberalism, uh, or you know, being uh, concerned with social issues and justice and fairness. That was their mantra. This is 150 years ago. It's not new, young people. If you're talking about justice today, it's not new. That always rises its head up. And let me tell you that justice without Jesus is an eternal injustice. And so you don't have justice without Jesus. And so anyway, they kind of went that way, and they said that... Uh, Paris Reedhead said it this way. He said, you know, the main thing that the mainline denominations going off into the liberal side, what they were saying is, we don't know if there's a heaven or a hell, but what we do know is that you have to live here 70, 80 years on this earth, so while you're here, we're going to make it as nice as we can for you. We're going to feed you and clothe you and those kind of things. That's what they concentrated on. Then you had the conservative churches over here, what we call evangelicals, and eventually they split off into fundamentalists and evangelicals, and they split off into this, and they split off into this, and this, and this. And so to the point today where in the United States we have over 250 denominations of Baptists. And, and 70, get, get this, the Amish, there's over 70 denominations of the Amish. All right, so anyway, 
We're not supposed to split. Paul said way back at the beginning, don't even start this thing. I'm a Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm a Peter. We are of Christ. That's who we are of. So the conservative denomination says, well, we do know that there's a heaven and we do know that there's a hell. So we're going to make your life, prepare your life for eternity so that you'll feel better in eternity. The thing about both of these things were is they're both about me. They're both wrong. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. It's not about me. The world doesn't revolve around me. And that's what humanism is. Humanism is the pervading philosophy, if not, a, if not an actual religion in this, in this country, in this Western world today. Humanism elevates human beings to the highest pinnacle of all. Whereas authentic Christianity is all about the glory of God. He's at the top. And so that's a big difference. And so it's been a struggle living in a culture where everybody's raised to believe it's all about me and nothing ever bad is going to happen to you. It is going to happen to you. It's not all about me, but it's all about us as God's people. It's all about his family. It's all about that we have a future and a hope. And some of us are going to seemingly suffer more than others. And I wish I had an answer to that. I don't. I don't know why some people seem to suffer more than others and go through struggles more than others. But I want to encourage you, don't let difficulty throw you. Don't let difficulty throw you, especially in our culture. Just think of the believers around the world. I was looking this week, getting ready for this, and just went to one website, which I could rec- recommend... Um, it has to do uh, with the persecuted church ar- around the world. And um, the website is called Voice of the Martyrs. It was started by uh, Richard Wormbrand, who was um, in Romania uh, when the communists took over. And he was a pastor. And uh, this was in the late 30s and, and uh, 40s, early 40s. And uh, they had a huge convention. They called the Communist Party, called all the pastors in the nation together. They had a huge convention. And one by one, uh, they got all the pastors to come up and say, we are following the Communist Party, you know, because they were under threat of arrest and, you know, all this kind of thing. And Richard Wormbrand got up there and said, this is who I'm following. I'm following Jesus Christ and his word and nothing else takes precedence over that. Well, the communists, of course, didn't like that. He was arrested. He was tortured. Uh, if you see pictures of him, he has, his back is full of scars and, and burns and electric probes. And, and uh, then somehow he was released, and they told him, don't talk about this anymore. And what did he do? He did what Peter did. He went right out again and started doing this. So they rearrested him. And finally, because of international outcry, they got him released uh, some believers in the West uh, paid a ransom for him, like $100,000 to the communist officials so that he could get out. They, the local believers encouraged him to go out. He, fe- he felt he was leaving them, and, and they said, no, you get out there and be our voice because we can't speak. Uh, so he, he wrote a book called Tortured for Christ, and he started a ministry. And so 
Anyway, just read on there. It's like a newspaper. Uh, two or three weeks ago, a pastor in uh, North Korea, uh, he lived right over the border in North China, and he had gone to North Korea for several decades and led many people to Christ, started home groups. Well, the North Koreans don't like that right now. And so his body was found hacked up, stabbed over 200 times and with an axe uh, in his head. This was just three weeks ago. A girl in India just the other day was uh, brutally assaulted. Uh, she was pregnant, a young mother, and uh, brutally assaulted be- just because she was a Christian walking down the street. And countless stories all around the world. There's been more people martyred for the name of Jesus in the last hundred years than all the previous 20, 20 centuries combined. So people are being tortured for their faith. They're being martyred for their faith. So when we think, oh, I didn't get that promotion. I'm suffering so bad. Or just horrible sicknesses and disease. I'm not, I'm, I don't want to undermine them. They are. I don't want to... You know, a lot of us came to Jesus because he was over, we oversold him. You're not going to have any problems. I don't want to undersell him because there's joy. They can't be taken away. When we come to Christ and our sins are forgiven and we're just pilgrims passing through. This isn't our home. And if our focus is on the here and now, we're going to get into trouble. This is all there is. And sadly, many people, this is all they see. This is all they think will ever exist. But we have a future and we have a hope. That verse is true. God has plans for you. And... and um, I just want to finish by reading uh, a few of the promises in God's Word. And uh, hold, hold on to these. Read God's Word. His, His Word is full of thousands of promises. And if we read Jeremiah twenty nine eleven in context, it's still a promise. It just may not be something that we had in our imagination. John fourteen twenty seven. Jesus said, We don't need to be fearful or troubled. I'm leaving you with a gift peace of mind and heart and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give so don't be troubled or afraid and first John 4:18 the fear of standing before God in his judgment is taken away from us such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear if we're afraid it's for fear of punishment and this shows that we've not fully experienced his perfect love. We don't have to be afraid. He's going to look at you and say, I see the blood of Jesus applied on your heart and you are forgiven. In fact, I declare you as righteous. And Jesus promised it will come again. John 14, 2 and 3. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. God promises us that our loved ones, the dead in Christ, shall rise again. In 1 Thessalonians, I read this at my father-in-law's funeral. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. 
in this verse, probably the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he promised us an end to death and sorrow and pain. In Revelation, we see a beautiful picture of what is ahead for us. The last two chapters of the Bible, there's no effect of sin there. The first two chapters in the Bible, there's no effect of sin there. So between Genesis 3 and Revelation chapter 19, that's the here and now. That's where sin has messed up this world, messed us up. But from eternity previous, eternity on, there is no effect. It will be with him forever and ever and ever. Isn't that amazing? Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, this is all imagery and analogy, coming down from God out of heaven like a beautiful bride dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people, and he will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. That's our future. That's our hope. Amen? Amen. And Father, thank you that your promises are true. God, we thank you for word, your word that sustains us, that strengthens us, and that encourages us. God, we want to be a people that live for you. And right now, if anyone is in here and you've never truly given your heart to Jesus, you can do that right where you're seated. Just tell him you love him. Tell him you believe in him. Tell him you're sorry for your sin. Ask him to forgive you. And his promise is true that he will, and he will call you to be his own. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.